can you stop asking all these fucking questions? If you don't want to go with me, then go home. Do you want me to leave or something? <laughs> I'm just tired. And I want to get out there, so can we... Can we just not talk for a while? She kept walking with me. Should that have seemed off? Should I have been more concerned with that, or just grateful I didn't have to come up with more lies to questions I didn't want to answer? Part of me hoped she would leave, but I couldn't tell her that. I couldn't treat her that way. Pick a reason, doesn't matter. I just couldn't. Except in the absence of Julie talking, all I was left with was my own mind. My own questions, my own doubts. Things never end the way you want them to. I think about these words often. Things never end the way you want them to. I wonder why Ryan said it this way. It doesn't entirely seem to fit the context of what was happening at the moment. It felt more like something he needed to say. But to what end, and who was he saying it to? Detective Sinclair? The shrouded, whispering man? Me? You? Or was it to himself? More on that a bit later. After listening to as many episodes as we all have, I have a hard time believing that I even know who Ryan Jennings is. So many of his behaviours, actions and words almost seem counterintuitive to what we've been led to believe, there are times that I can't completely shake off the doubt carried by Detective St. Clair. Who is Ryan Jennings? I think to understand any of this, we need to at least make an attempt to understand the man behind it all. To do that, I wanted to talk with people who knew him between the bookends of Creighton. Despite his desire to run when he was 18, Ryan didn't exactly hide. Yes, he may have changed his name as he took different roles in the radio industry, especially when he was an on-air personality. In St. Louis, he was DJ JD. In Memphis, he was Billy Hay. In Tempe, he was Tijuana Josh, and on and on and on. But despite his rotating personas, there actually were people who knew him at least somewhat. People he worked with. Even people he reached out to after all of this began. I got in touch with Tim McRae, the man responsible for dissecting the sound in the walls back in season one. We sat down at his current radio station job where he works as a station director. So what can you tell me about Ryan Jennings? Care to be a little more specific? <laughs> I mean, as far as what kind of a person he is, what kind of a person he was when you worked together. And obviously you've heard and been a part of his podcast, and I'm wondering if the Ryan we heard was the Ryan you knew. Well, that's a difficult question to answer. It's kind of complicated. I mean, guys like Ryan, guys like us, we work in radio our entire lives, and depending on the market... They aren't looking for who you are. They're looking for you to have a personality that fits their demographic. 
if you're spinning top 40s, you better know the lingo. I'm way beyond that. Way too old to deal with it, too. But Ryan, I don't know if Ryan ever really wanted to be more than what he was. And what was that? Like I said, that's kind of complicated. <sighs> there were times when I'd listen to some of those episodes and, and I heard Ryan. I, I mean the Ryan I knew. And there were other times when he just sounded like it was in a bad place. I really didn't recognize much of what I heard, if I'm being honest. Some of it felt more like a radio play than anything. You think he was lying? No, I, I mean, not exactly. It was more like he was being uh, who he thought he was supposed to be. Like I said, it, it comes with the job. He was putting on a performance. Ryan did that job for a long time, so if he thought that was what it took for people to listen to him, maybe it wasn't 100% of who he really was. At least not at first. But you can only do that for so long before you, you get stuck there. What do you mean, stuck there? <sighs> Ryan was doing what he thought he had to do. It's radio. You talk. You exposit. You, you, you do things and say things you, you'd never say in real life. I, <laughs> I mean goofy shit, like telling the listener what you're doing instead of just doing it because they can't see what's going on and you need to paint a picture. But Ryan, he had his demons. And that's saying something when it comes to radio. On top of that, he literally went back to a place he was afraid of. And if he was trying to act the part at the beginning... I don't think he was the kind of guy who'd be able to get away from it for very long. Get away from what? Whatever he thought he was running from. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you make it sound like you don't entirely believe what Ryan was going through. Yet you were an integral part in his entire investigation, being the one who dissected the noises he heard in the wall. Yeah, well, don't you think I blame myself enough for that already? Without me, maybe he would have just given up. But he didn't. He stayed. Whatever was happening to him, regardless of what it sounded like, was too much for anyone to handle alone, let alone Ryan. Tim didn't exactly paint a shining picture of Ryan, and after speaking with him, I have to admit that I had my own doubts about a lot of things, particularly considering the sentiments echoed what Detective St. Clair believed. But I didn't want that to cloud my investigation. I wanted to hear from someone else who knew Ryan Jennings the Ryan Jennings before Small Town Horror. At a small radio station in South Dakota, Gene Harper took time to sit down with me. Gene worked at the same radio station as Ryan for nearly a year in Ohio before moving back to her hometown. While never working on air at the same time as Ryan, Gene was one of only a few people I was able to get in touch with who felt like they had much of anything to say about Ryan Jennings or his character. The majority just said simply, he was nice, or he was quiet. But Jean? I don't think many people took the time to see Ryan, and I think he wanted it that way. Jean sat with me in the station conference room, sipping lemon tea as her thoughts seemed to wander back to another life. At the time of our speaking, she was aware of Ryan's podcast, 
though she admitted that she hadn't heard it until recently. It wasn't until the end of last season that word had spread quietly amongst the radio community, particularly those who had worked with Ryan. After they heard those recordings and what Ryan may have done, those same people who said he was nice also said, yeah, I guess I could see him doing that at some point. Jean did not share this sentiment. I think I worked in the same building with Ryan for, gosh, almost six months before we said anything more than pleasantries to each other. He was always polite enough, which isn't exactly a normal thing in radio. I tended to get the impression that he just wanted to come in, do his job, and go. What changed? Well, we were doing a remote promotion at this bar. Our station manager at the time... What was his name? I think it was Wade. Uh, He had this idea that we needed to expand the audience. I know, totally what station managers do with their metrics and everything, but he thought it would be a good idea if instead of my doing it with my normal drive-time co-host that I team up with Ryan, who worked the midday shift at the time. (laughs) It uh, It was very Morning Ralph, Morning Sam kind of relationship with us. Anyway, we did the spots, did the drawings, t-shirt giveaways, all that, and afterwards we hung out together and had a few beers. Those few beers turned into a few more, and... And? No, not that. And we talked. By that, I mean Ryan talked, which wasn't really what I ever expected. He talked about himself really talked about himself, and he talked about a lot of the things he said later on in his podcast. He talked about Creighton and his dad and running away. He was sincere uh, and even sad. It sounded like he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders, and I'm not even sure that talking about it helped him. Afterward, I think he felt more embarrassed that he had opened up at all. The next day, things kind of went back to the way they were before we spoke, and at first, I started to think that everything he told me was a lie, like he was just saying those things to mess with me. We worked together for about another six months, and he never said anything else about it. It wasn't until a few months ago when I heard his podcast that I even really thought about it again. Everything he said, he at least believed to be true. I can't even imagine what it was like to carry that for so long. The things he must have thought. Especially when you only look at it or remember it in broad strokes. I mean, it sounds so supernatural when you say some of the stuff out loud without the details that go in between. Yes, it does. But that's the thing about all this, and with Ryan... We don't hear those bits between. Yes, the noises in the walls and what happened to him in Ashton. Ashbury. (laughs) Of course, I'm sorry. Ashbury. That all sounds horrible and supernatural, but there is a cause to it all. There's a reason behind it. And there were flashes of Ryan seeing that, but I think that he kept it all inside himself for so long that it became bigger than something that had a reason or a cause. That whatever horrible things were happening, there was some thing behind it. 
not someone. Someone indeed. I believe that's our cue to get back to Hank Jennings. As previously mentioned, discrepancies in the information seem to suggest that Hank Jennings did not perform his deplorable acts alone. However, finding connections to Hank's life proved to be increasingly difficult. Few people in Creighton were willing to discuss Hank or Ryan or the podcast with me, and I was forced to go elsewhere to get insight into the man alleged to have been, among other things, a serial killer, and perhaps the most prolific the state of Minnesota has ever or will ever know. Shipping served as the primary source of employment for Hank Jennings for nearly 40 years, approximately half of that as a long-haul truck driver. It is actually this piece of information that began to connect to disappearances around the country. While I wasn't able to obtain specific work details from the company without a subpoena, I was able to verify that Hank did regularly drive to the towns of the 16 identified bodies found outside of his cabin. Mind you, Hank wasn't the only employee to drive to or through these places, and these were almost all cities with very large populations, and the sight of a semi-truck driving through would have raised little, if any, attention from anyone. But a semi-truck, particularly one with a sleeper cabin in it, would prove to be the perfect mode of transportation for abducting children and transporting them far away from anyone who would miss them. Currently, as I understand it, the investigation into Hank Jennings and the role, if any, that his employers may have unintentionally played in the kidnappings of 40 children is ongoing. And as such, none of the company's management was willing to speak with me on the record. Those who were willing to speak at all echoed the same sorts of sentiments as the citizens of Creighton. Hank was a good worker and stand-up guy. It wasn't until I was leaving that a person walked up to me in the parking lot, intentionally bumping into me. A small piece of paper fell between us. This person looked down at the paper, then back up to me before walking away. Yes, I'm well aware of how spy thriller such an interaction comes across as, but it is what happened. And as I've come to know, more often than not in life, People tend to glean these bits of information from movies thinking it's important or even necessary. For goodness sakes, I have a LinkedIn account that is just as easily accessible. Regardless, on the paper was a time and a meeting place and a single statement. You didn't hear this from me. And to be honest, it's not like it was very difficult to determine the person's identity. A cursory search of the company on social media produced a picture of my new contact. I emailed the details and the meeting location to my editor just to be safe, and went to meet them at a location somewhat private, but not so much that I felt overtly concerned with my safety. Again, look at this pragmatically. How much of a risk am I really going to take in all this? I'm not kidding. No name. You do that weird thing with my voice so no one knows who I am. You have my word, but why the secrecy? You're fucking with me, right? You want to know about Hank, and you don't get why I don't want anyone to know who I am? I listened to that show after the police started poking around. You think I want to end up in some Illuminati rape cabin in the woods, let alone arrested? I don't think that's actually what happened. 
makes no difference. I gotta go back to work with these guys, and if they think I'm stepping out, I'm gonna have a fuck of a time getting work after this. Fair enough. What can you tell me about Hank? Listen, Hank was a good enough guy on the surface, but he was weird. Weird? How? Weird like no one would come out and say it, but that they wouldn't have felt safe with him babysitting their kids. He might have never done anything directly or anything like that, but he'd get real quiet when kids was around. It might have looked like he just didn't like the kids, but I didn't get that idea at all. So you had suspicions about the kind of person he was, at least according to the current accusations? Fuck yeah, I did. He was weird about his rig. I mean, lots of guys are. It's basically home. But one time I was looking all over for a set of tools I remembered Hank borrowing, and I went over to a sleeper after he got back from a long haul. As soon as I put my hand on the door, Hank comes out of nowhere, damn near chokeslams me to hell, like the Undertaker or some shit. Said if I ever touched his rig again, he'd kill me. Did you report any of this to the police or HR? Ha ha ha, HR. What fucking planet are you living on? People get high-strung or hopped up. No secret why they call them truckers' best friends. We see some shit. We do some shit. I brushed it off as my getting too hot-headed and him cranked up on something. I let it go, found my tools, and moved on. But after what the police found at his cabin... So you heard about that? Why the fuck else would I be talking to you? If you're going to act this dumb... Uh, Okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just want to get all of this on the record so there is no mistaking what you're actually saying. I'm saying that I 100% believe that Hank kidnapped those kids and... And... Do you... Do you think there might have been a kid in his truck when I tried to... I don't know. I pray every night there wasn't. How can you be certain that Hank was ever involved in abductions? Did you ever see one of the children? Of course not. Then how do you know? Because he never let anyone go with him to his cabin. That place was like holy land. Couldn't even bring it up around him come deer season. He'd just sort of stare you down like you were invading his life or something. Except this one guy. Mostly a mechanic who only worked here for a little while, maybe five or six years ago. I can't fucking remember what his name was. Do you have a picture of him? Why would I? Right. Well, was there something about this man that stood out? I don't know. He looked average, I guess. Kind of an asshole. Acted all smarter than everyone because he had some fancy degree. Except if he's so fucking smart, what was he doing working here? Anyway, one day this guy and Hank just suddenly get all chummy. Like they eat together at lunch and all that. Then I hear the two of them are going hunting and that shit sticks with you. Suddenly there was something about this guy that he could see the special cabin. And you thought they were doing something illegal? Illegal? Nah, not at the time. Shit, I probably only remember it because we told jokes of what they was probably doing to each other up at the cabin. Yeah, I get the picture. No need to elaborate. Anyway, yeah, I guess that's it. I'm just saying, Hank did it. And the company's gonna try to cover their own ass, if nothing else. But, man, there's kids. While my contact may have intended to verify the information, unfortunately there was nothing actually substantial in the presentation. I extended my contact information and requested to be contacted should anything else become available, particularly if he remembered the name of Hank's friend, but I strongly expected that we wouldn't speak again.
Admittedly, I felt more than a little defeated. As much as I'd uncovered, I wasn't really that much closer to answering all the unanswered questions Ryan left behind. Fortunately, there was still one other person who could shed any light on what happened to Ryan Jennings, and perhaps answer some of the other looming questions. And she contacted me, I'm assuming she was made aware of my investigation by someone on the police force. While I couldn't say I knew who died underneath Ashbury at the time, I could now tell you who didn't. She refused to meet with me anywhere other than a public, well-lit location with security cameras. Given what had happened to her, I didn't blame her and let her pick the spot. It was a diner in Duluth, Minnesota, that I sat down and spoke with her for the first and only time. Thank you for agreeing to meet with me. I'm guessing you've got a lot of questions, huh? That's one way to put it, Julie. It's just... I i mean, I can't tell you anything I haven't already told the police. Yeah, I understand. It's just that they aren't exactly forthcoming with information, so please forgive me if I ask questions you've answered a lot already. I relive it every night. At least this time I get to do it in the daylight, right? Where do you want me to start? Why don't you start when you saw Ryan again in Creighton before going out to Ashbury? Rolling back into Creighton, I feel like an escaped prisoner. I stopped just long enough to go to the bathroom and grab a couple extra bottles of water and a spare flashlight. Ryan? Julie? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You don't want to start before that? We can go back further in a bit. I think it more pressing that we address the biggest cliffhanger, as it were. Okay. What were you doing back in Creighton? I was staying there. Why? Because I thought Ryan might come back there. Why would he do that? I don't know, but I didn't really know what else to do. I don't know, but I wasn't in a great place and I didn't want to go back home at the time. It was just luck that I ran into him. Really? What's that supposed to mean? Well, no offense, but do you know how unlikely it is to just randomly bump into someone in a town you didn't entirely expect them to be at in the first place? Yeah, well, that's what happened, okay? Would you like to hear why it's the truth? Okay, why is that? Because I fucking regretted it ever since then. What happened, Julie? It's just like what you heard. Is that it? Yeah. That's really Ashbury? I don't see any ash. I know. We'll be okay. And we were. Julie and I stood there, shining our lights around in the darkness. And there was nothing. Everything felt the same. Almost, I mean. The steps felt right. The height of the ceiling. 
the staleness of the air. But things were just a little different, a little off. Just kept walking forward toward what I knew and what Julie expected. The squeeze. The place where Sarah had gotten stuck, but... This? No. This isn't right. We stood there and shone our lights around the rim of the tunnel. It was maybe three feet by three feet. It wasn't exactly a big passage, but it wasn't so small that I or anyone should have gotten stuck. And then we found that room. Those cages. And that's when you saw Sarah? Yes. Julie, why did Ryan shoot Sarah? What? What are you talking about? The gunshot. Ryan's statement about the body in the woods. You and I are talking now, so that only leaves one conclusion. You... You mean you don't know? What? Know what, exactly? I'm a reporter, but it's not like I have access to the police reports. What I've been able to find out is through statements of people involved, and until you contacted me, I didn't even know you were alive. Besides, once the investigation began with the bodies at Ryan's father's cabin, information was all but redacted. Oh, I thought you knew. Ryan didn't shoot Sarah. I'm confused. Did did you shoot Sarah? No. No, no one shot Sarah. But the gunshot? Whose body did Ryan leave in the woods? Ryan didn't shoot Sarah. He shot Joe. He shot my husband. And we will find out why on the next episode of The Truth About Small Town Horror. Thank you.